Well, if you have your Bibles, be finding Genesis chapter 28. We've looked at Abraham and Isaac and now Jacob. And Jacob is leaving home. He's going to be gone for about 20 years. And he leaves for two reasons. One is to escape his brother, Esau. Chapter 27, verse 41 says, Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which his father had blessed him and said, the days of mourning are approaching for my father. That is, he's going to die soon. And then I will kill my brother Jacob. Genesis 27, 36, Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? Because the name Jacob means cheater, a schemer. Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he cheated, he Jacobed me these two times. He uses the same he uses the name Jacob and is translated as cheated, but it, it's the same word. He has Jacobed me. And you remember how he did it. He Esau came in from hunting and and he saw that. He was making some soup, and uh, uh, Jacob said, uh, I'll give you some of this soup if you'll swear to me before God that I can have the birthright. And Esau didn't take it seriously, and so he said, sure, go ahead, take the birthright. The birthright meant leadership, authority, finances. So he gives it to him, not thinking that much of it. And then his father, Jacob, went dressed as Esau because his father Isaac was blind. So he dressed himself like Esau. He smelled like Esau. He had on these old animal skins. Esau was an outdoorsman. And Isaac said, who are you? And he said, I'm, I'm Esau, your firstborn. And Isaac said, well, I bless you with all the blessings that I have that God can give you. So Jacob went away and Esau hated him. The word Jacob means cheat. Jeremiah 17 and 9 says the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. The word deceitful there is the, is the name Jacob. The heart is Jacob above all things. We're all a bit of a Jacob. Well, Jacob is running from his brother because he's stolen the blessing, deceived his father, and become a cheat. He's also uh, running away not only to escape the brother, but because he's going to find a wife. Chapter 28, verse 1 and 2, his father Isaac called him in and said, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. So he sends him 500 miles to his, their relatives to get away from the Canaanites. That's a theme in the Old Testament. We've met that before. 
So the first night, Jacob is alone. He has no one. He has nothing with him. He has not even a pillow to lay his head on. So he lays his head on a rock. Maybe he covered it with something first. He sleeps. He dreams or has a vision. And he sees a ladder in verse 12. And he dreamed and behold a ladder was set up on the earth and the top reached to heaven. In fact, there are three beholds in this verse 12 and 13. In verse 12, behold a ladder. Like, look at that, a ladder reaching to heaven. Another behold is in verse 12 also. And behold, verse 12, angels were ascending and descending. Look at that, angels. And a third behold is in verse 13. And behold the Lord stood above, or as one translation says, beside him. The Holman Christian Standard Version says, the Lord was standing there beside him, saying, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. So here's this ladder. He has this vision or dream and there's angels coming and going and <clears throat> God has come down on this ladder and he, <clears throat> in this vision, God is beside him. The angels are coming and going. He's, he sees this vision. God has evidently come to him. Jacob has not come to God. Jacob is not seeking God. Jacob's trying to escape. Isaiah 65 verse 1 says, and I don't think this is in your notes, but he says, I was revealed to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who were not seeking me. They, they didn't call upon my name, but I said to them, here I am. Here I am. <laughs> That's amazing grace, isn't it? Where God just sort of interrupts your life. You just minding your own business. And God comes in and says, what about me? What about the spiritual realm? I don't know. I hadn't thought about it. Well, it's time to think. I see this event, this experience of Jacob, as his conversion. Previous to this, Jacob has had no altars, no prayers, no references to God that I could see. And he builds an altar here in verse 18. He says, early in the morning after this, Jacob took a stone he put under his head, set it up for a pillar, poured oil on the top. In verse 19, he called the name of that place Bethel. Beth is the Hebrew word for house, and El is the Hebrew shortened form of Elohim, house of God. He said, this is the house of God. 
He started a church. <laughs> and from henceforth, from this time on, he's Jacob, if you'll notice in verse 13, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. He doesn't say I'm the God of Jacob. But from this time on, God is known as the God of Abraham, Exodus 3.15, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So I see this as his conversion experience. Um, and I jotted down three things that I, I thought was interesting in this passage. Uh, and I'll just share these with you this morning. One is, <clears throat> as I looked at the direction of the angels, the angels are going up and then down. Usually you would think they're coming down and then they're going back up. But they're going up and then down. Look at verse 12. He dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top reached to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending, going up, and descending. Now, what's the significance of that? This indicates that when he looked, he has this dream, angels were already here. They had dropped off a package of some kind. It's like Amazon. Me and my wife shop on Amazon quite a bit. An Amazon truck will stop and drop off a package, and then he's going. Then there'll be another Amazon truck coming. So they're leaving and coming, ascending and descending. That means angels were already active in his life. God was already providing for him, and Jacob didn't know anything about that. Did you know that God takes care of you before you're converted? He sends his angels to guard you and watch over you before you become a Christian. Otherwise, you'd never even become a Christian. You wouldn't live long enough. The devil would see to it that you're dead. The day before you're converted. Look at uh, Hebrews 1.14. I think we have this on the screen. Hebrews 1.14. Now notice this carefully. Are they not all ministering spirits? Talking about angels. Sent forth to minister for them who, look at the tense, shall be heirs of salvation. Come on, folks shall be. Angels take care of you for those who shall be saved. Otherwise, you'd never get saved. Now, they not only take care of you before you're saved, but they take care of you after you're saved because God knows and has chosen those who will be saved. So, here's these angels. They're already dropping off one package and now more are coming to drop off another package God, God is showing Jacob that he has been taking care of him and that he's going to take care of him and he's right there to let him know that 
So Jacob, Genesis 28, 16, he awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. He's got to be a good sermon right there, but we'll leave it alone for now. Here's another note. This experience of Jacob with God, or God with Jacob, is all mercy and grace. Look at verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac. And the land on which you lie, I will give to you. Notice, I will give. I'm going to give it to you. And to your offspring. Verse 14. And your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. And they'll spread abroad to the north and south and east and west. And, and there'll be a blessing in the earth. And verse 15. I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I'll bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised. Then, verse 16, Jacob, Jacob woke up. Now, I do not see one thing in that passage which God says, uh, here's what I want you to do for this to all come to pass. This is pure grace. If, if I'd been writing this, and then I've seen, okay, angels coming and going, and God has appeared beside Jacob, and he speaks, and Larry, what do you think he would say? I think he might say, Jacob, you need to get your act together. You just deceived your brother, you deceived your father, you're, you're a cheat in life, and here you are an adult acting like a kid, and you need to grow up. Get your act together, man. Because go there's going to be consequences you're going to end up in jail or something worse. What's going to happen to you? You're ruining your life. You're destroying your future. God doesn't say any of that. He says, okay, Jacob, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to bless your offspring. You're going to have so many kids, grandkids and great-grandkids, that they're going to spread east, west, north, south, and just bless the lives of so many people. And then I'm going to bring you back here. I'm going to give you peace and prosperity and bless your socks off. Jacob's like, okay, works for me. I will give you, you will be a blessing. I'm going to protect you. I see four things here. God's power is promised. God's presence is promised. God's protection is promised. God's preservation is promised. Unconditionally. I call that amazing grace for an undeserved sinner. Have you ever seen that? I mean, <clears throat> I saw it just a couple of weeks ago. I was talking with a lady who I, I was her pastor over 40 years ago in another state and there was a sweet Christian uh, family they had two daughters uh, and one of them was a de dedicated Christian and the other one 
ran off with another man who was a married man. And I was talking to this lady who still lives in that city. And uh, I said, uh, you know, would you, because I've been thinking about her, and I said, would you tell me what happened to this lady, who, this young woman at that point? This is 40 years ago, maybe 41. And what happened to her? Because I'm thinking, I did at the time, I thought, oh, wow. Devoted Christian family, and here's a young daughter that runs off with a married man with kids. What's going to happen to them? Oh, this girl's probably been married four or five times. The marriage can't possibly last. The children got sick or afflicted with some unknown disease. Or she ended up in a wheelchair and the husband said, oh, I'm out of here. I mean, what great judgments came in on that. And you know what the lady told me on the phone? She said, oh, she's doing great. I was like, what? She said she, their, their marriage has lasted 40 years. They're, they have children. Uh, she returned to God. She's reconciled with her mother and helped her in the end of her mother's life. And just the sweetest Christian young lady. I was thinking, no way. I was almost amazed at such grace. Then I realized, that's amazing grace. That's our story. That's my story. When you're expecting the clouds of heaven to release lightning bolts and judgment thunder, and instead, here's a ladder in which angels are bringing you provisions and God is standing by you making promises. What is going on here? I tell you, there's nothing like this. There's nothing like the gospel of Jesus Christ. It amazes me. It's shocking. And I'll tell you why God can do it. Because you know what that ladder is? Or should I say, do you know who the ladder is? John 1, 50, verse 51, Jesus tells us. He tells Nathaniel. He said to him, truly I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Jesus is the basis of which grace and God's presence and promises come to us. He, through his death and resurrection, purchased for us the grace of God, even when we don't deserve it as sinners. Jesus is the ladder, the merit system on which God moves and promises and directs himself to man. The writer wrote, What truth can calm the troubled soul? Oh, God is good. God is good. Where is such grace and goodness known? It's in my great Redeemer's blood.
Amen, church? Jesus is the ladder. That's why it's so gracious of God to come. And He can come, and He does come. One other note. And that's Jacob's response. Just a spontaneous response to such mercy and grace as, as just has been poured out on him. Three-fold response. Number one, verse 20 and 21. Jacob made a vow. He says, if God's going to be with me and keep me, protect me, and give me bread to eat and clothes to wear, so I come again to this house in peace, well, then the Lord's going to be my God. You know what he's saying? He's saying, if he's going to be my father, I'm going to be his son. This is his conversion. He's saying, I receive this Lord as my Lord, and I'm going to follow him and worship him. That's the God I want. The God of grace is the God you want. It's the God you need. He says, this God's going to be my God. Now, Jacob, you're included in that little phrase, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. The second thing he does is he starts a church. He builds a worship center. Verse 22, And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. Here we will meet together. We will return to this place and worship. The third thing he does, and I was surprised at this, Jacob says the last statement, and of all that you give me, I will give a full tithe or tenth to you. Huh. Where did that come from? Jacob says, if God's going to give me all this, land and family, prosperity and blessing, I mean, you couldn't get Joel Osteen to make up a sermon like this. What? So what's Jacob going to do? You know what? God's going to do this for me. I'm going to tithe. Full tithe. Where did he get that? He didn't get it from Moses because Moses is 400 years away. 500 years away. He got it, for one, from his grandfather Abraham, who in Genesis 14 defeated an army and tithed to Melchizedek, the high priest of Jerusalem. He got it from Cain and Abel, who brought the firstborn and the first fruits to God in worship. He got it from Adam because God gave Adam the garden, but he gave him one tree that he prohibited. He said, I want you to leave that one alone. Why does God reserve a portion for himself? Because God does not want you to have his blessings without him. It's not because God is poor. I need your money. It's because he knows that we will tend to build a life apart from him unless there's a constant reminder of who gave the 
It's as if I said to you, you know, I have a tremendous washing machine. I can throw my pants in the hamper. I can throw my socks at the hamper. I can throw my shirt toward the hamper. And you know what? Two or three days later, <clears throat> I come in there and, and there's my pants hanging up. There's my shirt hanging up. There's my socks in the drawer. That's some washing machine. I need to tell people about this washing machine. But you know what? I left out somebody. Amen? I have a beautiful little wife that I adore. And it would be grievous of me to just leave her out of the equation and not to say thank you for all you do for me constantly. She's the one that makes that machine go around. She's the one that hauls that hamper in there and unloads them and loads them back in. She's the one who brings them back to the closet and hangs them up. She does all that. Washing machine just does what it's buttons to it. God does not want us to live as if he doesn't exist. That all 100% comes from him. So Deuteronomy 26.10 says, I bring the first of the fruit of the ground which you, O Lord, have given me and you are to set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. Never tithe without worship because you're acknowledging him. You're thanking him like I'm acknowledging my wife. I'm thanking her. I'm not acting like you just throw it toward the hamper and it just comes back magically. It's like teaching your children to say thank you. We would consider it rude and even crude if our children received a gift from another and we would turn to them and say what do you say? Do you expect them to learn to say thank you? I give you this one more illustration on the tithe. Tithing, and I think this is what Jacob was saying too with the tithe. Tithing acknowledges that God does more than you can see, than you can count, than you understand or can figure in the equation. Uh, tithing is acknowledges the mystery. Uh, I, I was going to Starbucks a few weeks ago and uh, they have the microphone where you order and you drive forward to the window where you pick up your drink. So I was pulling around and I pulled up to the microphone to order and I saw this guy behind me uh, he was a very angry man with a scowling face. And he was briskly coming toward my car. And I had just ordered, and he said, open the door, just like that. And I had the thought, it crossed my mind, that I should exit the vehicle and engage this pestilent fellow in some fisticuffs. 
I decided not to. I locked my, my doors and drove forward to the window. But man, he was aggressive. And he walked right up behind my car while I'm at the window getting my drink. He walked right up to behind my car and looked in the window. And was like this. Seeing if there's anything worthy. And then I started to drive off. And he started to walk away. But he had one more friendly gesture. As I drove off, I saw in the rearview mirror. It was like he was angry, and so he let me know about it. For my reading that day, I was in Psalm 4, verse 8. In peace I will lay me down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. See, if I had been about five seconds earlier, he would have been upon me. And who knows what would have happened? I don't know. Just five seconds earlier. But I doubt seriously I would have engaged him in fisticuffs. He might have engaged me. You alone, O Lord, Make me dwell in safety. So I don't know what would have happened. There's this mystery to life. But we have to see this God as watching over us and taking care of us in ways which we have no clue. So when I'm tithing, I'm saying, God, I'm acknowledging the blessings. I don't even see the safety, the precautions, the protection that I don't even know. And I'm saying, Lord, I love you and I thank you for what I don't even know. I acknowledge you, I thank you, I worship you. Here's a tithe, here's my offering. Amen. Let's bow together for prayer and let's worship God with our tithes and with our offerings. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this story of grace story of mercy we ask you to strengthen our hearts that we may respond like Jacob that we might be sons and confess that you are our God that we might support your house and make an offer that we might tithe to you and realize your hand in our life Save us from ourselves. Give us a future and a hope through Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.